When we talk about the most pain I've ever felt in my entire life, it's not getting shot. You have so much adrenaline there, like it, it is what it is. But that was nothing compared to the physio we went through in that first two weeks. It built a ton of mental toughness for me, but it also got me back to things like running in like September 2021, right? I was running when I should have been walking. And that was a big thing that made me want to start up Hit the Ground Running, right? I needed a guy who made me uncomfortable, pushed me through all this pain because he knew that at the end of the day, that's where my greater recovery would come from. I want to be able to afford people the opportunity to work with people who will push them to their brink every single day to get them to their new 100%. Good day and welcome to the Leading with Nice interview series podcast. My name is Matthew Yule and we want to help you inspire others, build loyalty and get results. Now, we are actually doing part two of our two-part interview with Brandon Peacock. And if you haven't listened to part one, I encourage you to stop listening right now, go back and listen to part one to hear Brandon's story. I found Brandon on TikTok of all places and Brandon had this story which I had to like watch three or four times because I was like, what is this? Did I just hear this correctly? Long story short, he was going to get his hair cut one night and the next thing he knew, he had been shot three times. He was wrong place, wrong time. He was not the target of that drive-by shooting, but he was certainly the victim of it. However, the victim label doesn't sit well with Brandon and the reason we're talking to him today is because in addition to encapsulating a mindset of being a survivor. He's also using that idea and that mind shift to funnel his energy into a nonprofit called Hit the Ground Running. Now, last episode, we talked about the incident and just shortly after he had uh, been recovered in hospital. Today, we're going to talk about his recovery and what the future looks like for him uh, from there. So, uh, Brandon, thanks for coming back for part two, man. It would have been a very bad podcast if you were to stick around. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I appreciate you having me, like I said before, and uh, it's always nice to, to get out here back to the scene of everything, you know? Right. It's, uh, it's good for the nerves, I guess. Uh, so, Brandon, when we last chatted, yep. you had just spoken about how you had had this thought in your head about, like, what mark, what legacy am I going to leave? What does it matter that I've been on this earth? Yep. And out of that, through a, uh, a thought process, you said, I need to help other victims of trauma. And the way I want to do that is by establishing a nonprofit, eventually a charity, yeah. that will raise money to help for physio, mental, all the recovery, strength. Yeah, yeah, the strengthening you'll need after you are a victim of trauma. Yep. So, and you mentioned as well, the important thing is, is you recognize the gap was like the availability of dollars to help your recovery were so sparse that you maybe, if you followed that plan, would only be at your desk, able to work, the idea of running, playing sports would probably be done for you. Correct? That's where we're at? Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's probably more than like, like yeah. So I think uh, as people are listening to this, if you're a business owner, the key message to this particular part of the story yeah. is you found a great team. Yep. And not just talented, committed, but somebody who is passionate yep. about you achieving your goals. Yep. Frank, yeah. the physiotherapist, was not trying to use you as leverage to get a better job yep. to open his own thing. Yep. He was literally co-creating your future. So who's Frank, what does he do, and how does he figure into this story? Yeah, so, so Frank Duquette, we're really close friends before anything happens. Uh, unbelievably fortunate that he happened to be a physiotherapist, definitely played into my favor. 
but after everything happened, he was one of the first people to reach out. And I don't remember what he said, but it was something along the lines of like, I've got like a summer science project, you know, now. Right? You like were the, the summer science project? I was the summer science project. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, this guy was gonna do everything it took to get me back to normal. And he, I was really fortunate to have him because he wasn't gonna allow me the opportunity to back out of any of it either. Now, what so, does that? But what does that mean practically? Like, he's gonna be <laughs> he's gonna be calling you every day, holding you accountable. What did it mean? So, so, so yes and no. I again, I had my my dad took some time off work. Um, the two months after everything that happened, so he drove me to Frank's house every day. Mm -hmm. So even if I wanted to skip, I I would have had my dad. I would have had Frank, and I would have had myself yeah. to deal with too, right? Because right, right. I would have felt like I was letting myself down. Where I say he held me accountable is he pushed me way past where any other physiotherapist that I, you know, I had previously had would push me because he understood where I wanted to be in my recovery, right? He knew that I not only wanted to get back to a regular life, I wanted to get back to the best version of myself that I could be after everything that went, you know, that happened, happened. Most people, I think it's fair to say, have not been shot. <laughs> I can empathize but I can't truly you know, know. Yep. So talk to us about that so we can understand what shape you're in. Yeah, so uh, like we said in the last podcast, basically it wasn't just my wound in my chest, the bullet hole, and so I had a hole fully through my, like in my femur bone. Um, so there was some significant, significant damage on top of the massive mm. incisions I had on both sides of my leg and the transfer of the, the vein replacing my artery, right? So this leg was in like bad shape. Mm. And before I was able to leave the hospital, my physio like in hospital team said that I had to be able to walk up three steps mm -hmm. because that was enough to get me into my house. <laughs> so easy, right? Yeah, you, you think, three right? Steps, you you yeah. think it's easy, but I mean, when all your ribs are broken, your breathing is not great. <laughs> um, it's, it's very hard to get a good breath in as well as I hadn't moved in seven days, right? And that was to date the most difficult thing I've probably ever done in my entire life but I was able to do it because that was the way I was gonna get out, right? Yeah. And I needed to get out of that hospital more than I needed anything in my entire life at that point. I got up those three steps like it was, it was like climbing Kilimanjaro or mm. Mount Everest. But my physio finally gave me permission to go home, which was the best thing in the world um, to me at that time. When I was able to get out of there, I was able to kind of take control fully back of my, my life. I mean, I couldn't really walk mm. still, but at least now I was out. So enter Frank. Yeah, so after that, I had to take a week before I was able to actually start truly going to physio and, and grinding because my incisions were so big. And shout out to the plastics team if they ever watched this because those guys were awesome and did a lot of great work. But it was so, so fragile. I probably had about between stitches and staples, like well past 100, I'd, I'd say, in, in summation, right, of both my legs. And if I moved too much, I could have reopened something, right? So they made me take about an extra week. So I'd say it took about two and a half, three weeks to get to physio for the first time. And then I would go to Frank's house because he was working, well, it was uh, COVID, right? So mm -hmm. he was at his at home. So I was able to get to his place. He'd throw me over his shoulder, kind of hobble me in, and we would just go. And at that point, because I couldn't walk, it was almost all stretching. And we would go at it for three hours of him pulling and twisting my leg to the point where we were just trying to straighten it out because it was so like messed up at the time, right? The muscles hadn't been used in so long. There was also some damage to the femur. And I had a lot of, a lot of trust in Frank. So yeah. initially, my prognosis, even my doctor said that I likely wouldn't be running again until like February, 2021. I wouldn't really be playing hockey or skiing again until maybe like January, December. Um, I'd be able to maybe walk 
walk some basic level hikes by three months out. And me and Frank kind of looked at that and Frank's like, nah, screw that. Like, no way. Like, we're, we're going to kill that. And oh. I'm like, are you sure, man? Like, these guys are, are practicing doctors. You're a recent physio yeah. grad. And he's like, look, it's all about the effort that you put in. And this is the most critical point in your recovery. You're going to need to trust me. We're going to go through some, some tough pain. But I know where your body can be. You just need to trust me and let me get you there. And, and I put all my trust in Frank, which was the best thing I ever did. But when we talk about the most pain I've ever felt in my entire life, it's not getting shot. You have so much adrenaline there. Like, it, it is what it is. There was some pain for sure as uh, the adrenaline starts to wear off. But that was nothing compared to the physio we went through in that first two weeks, where I'm literally laying on the ground for three hours as he's stretching my leg. And he would often, you know, hit me with the 30 more seconds. And then we'd finish those 30 seconds. He'd be like, all right, another minute and a half. And I'm like... Yeah, uh okay, whatever, yeah. I trust this guy. Um, there was multiple points where he looked at me, he's like, all right, this is gonna hurt, bite down to the pillow kind of thing. And I'd look at him, I'm like, are you crazy, man? Bite down to the pillow, like that's how much this is gonna <laughs> hurt? And he's like, look, do you wanna get back to good health soon or do you want to feel sorry for yourself this entire time, right? So I just trusted him. I, I went through that pain, that, that difficult process with him. And I'm unbelievably happy that he afforded me that luxury because it built a ton of mental toughness for me, but it also got me back to things like running in like September 2021, right? I was running when I should have been walking. And that was a big thing that made me want to start up Hit the Ground Running, right? I needed a guy who made me uncomfortable, pushed me through all this pain because he knew that at the end of the day, that's where my greater, my greater recovery would come from, right? And that's yeah. what I want to do with Hit the Ground Running is I, like the people that we work with down the road, I want to be there for the recovery process of a lot of these people. Like I want to be able to afford people the opportunity to work with people who will push them to their brink every single day to get them to their new 100%. And that's something I'm really passionate about. You know what we haven't heard about yet? Yeah. The guys who shot you, <laughs> why not? I just don't care. I mean, that's probably like a really bad way to, to phrase it. And it's funny because I'm sure again, if you ask my parents, they probably care a lot more. I don't really know who they are. I don't really care to know. I'm sure I could. I think it's all out there in the news now. Um, th that does no good to me. You know, I don't have any resentment to these guys. I don't care why they did what they did. They afforded me this opportunity that I otherwise wouldn't have had. And I was, my mindset could be entirely different if I wasn't able to recover as well as I did. But in the first couple months, 100% of my focus was getting back to the best version of myself that I could. Do you think that because you chose, and it sounds to me like it was a choice, yep. do you think that the choice you made was a key part in your recovery? 100%, yeah. Um, you know, I think in my mind that it, it was a choice, but it wasn't a choice, right? Like there was no day where I was waking up and I was like, I want the book thrown at these guys. I want them to, I want the worst things ever. It's like, I want to focus on what's in my control and my unique recovery process and trying to deal with things that are outside of my control was going to do me no good, right? That is someone else's area of expertise. Some, someone else will be dealing with all of that side of everything. I could only control my recovery and how I respond to the situation. It sounds crazy. Everybody thinks I'm a, I'm a you know, psychopath or whatever for thinking about it that way. But no. at the end of the day, there was just no benefit for me to stay up at night stressing about it. How do you plan for wrong place, wrong time? I, <laughs> the answer is you don't, you can't. Yeah, you, you, you definitely can't. And I think it's what you can do is if you, if you see something as a wrong place, wrong time situation, you're allowing yourself to become that victim of that narrative, right? I think 
I saw myself as a right place, right time situation. Yeah. It's, it's, and yeah. you know, again, I've told that to my dad. My dad hates that narrative. My yeah. mom hates that narrative. I see myself now having this incredible opportunity I otherwise wouldn't have had because of the situation that I was dealt. Right? So yeah, like let's, the parallel here, I'm thinking about business that have a crisis happen upon them. The neighboring shop has a chemical spill that forces them to close yep. for two weeks, two months. The uh, power yep. goes out in your town and you know, your business has to shut down. The bus that your staff are on at a retreat gets into an accident and everybody's in the hospital. Yep. All these things that you can't control. I think the, the, the lesson here, now that I've put those scenarios to you, what do you say to these businesses? What's the message you want to tell them? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I think maybe something that probably ties into it is I have a bit of a background in change management, so I understand yeah. the <laughs> I understand the necessity yeah. of. I just, always, I just really appreciate how you're always pulling in your. I love that you are always pulling in your experiences, yeah. your schooling. People are uh, people of nurture, man. As much as yeah. nature versus nurture play a role, I think nurture is so critical in the development of, of mm. any individual, right? Mm. So, you know, what I would say to business leaders going through those situations is everybody is going to have those hurdles, right? Those those impairments, those crutches. Everybody's gonna have those obstacles to success. The way that your business is going to be viewed is how you respond to those negatives, right? Those obstacles. You know, like let's say you have a, a flood or a leak or whatever, you need to be out of your office for two weeks. That's really difficult, but do you, now, do you have a work from home strategy already set up? Now you might have to think about doing that, right? Now maybe you can bring on 10 new employees you otherwise wouldn't have had down the road and shift a little bit of a, a work from home, a work from office setup, mm -hmm. right? There's always going to be ways that you can respond to the situations and the unique experiences you're thrown at. You just have to be willing to accept that. Whereas I think, and I've seen this with a lot of people in my life, like for example, um, one of my old colleagues, I remember um, we had our like phone calls recorded for a little while and he got a call um, that just kept dropping. His Wi-Fi didn't work, whatever and he just did not want to call them back on his regular cell phone because he wouldn't get credit for it, right? Because they track your stats, yeah. whatever. And that just, it, it blew my mind. Sometimes you just gotta take a little bit of sacrifice, move that step back and call them back from your cell phone, right? I think that a lot of people see barriers and get flustered and don't know how to respond properly. Whereas you can take these things, like you call back that client and say, hey, I'm so sorry, I'm calling you back from like my personal number, I'm having some internet issues. You can laugh that off, right? Yeah. It's a, a bit of a, almost a relationship builder yeah. if you see it properly. So I, I think that there's always a response to any sort of barrier or obstacle that you have. It's just whether or not you're willing to accept that or if you're gonna let it fluster you and, and cause more problems. And what I'm hearing from right? you as well too is the, if I leave this interview today and I go home and a client calls and says, oh, Matthew, like, the power's gone out on our yeah. street. We have to move and vacate. We had all these uh, presentations for clients coming in. We don't know what to do. I can say to them, hey, I just talked to a guy, Brandon, and he would tell you this. Don't worry, don't, yeah. don't concern yourself anymore. Not that don't worry as in like, oh, forget about it, it's not a problem. Don't concern yourself with the why, who. Concern yourself now with your response yep. and only your response. It, exactly, it's how can you solve that problem if it was to happen again down the road, yes. right? So how, how are you prepared for this problem yeah. next time? Because let's say the power went out and you, you know, the power is gonna go out again, yes. right? It's, yes. it's very likely that totally. that happens. How are you gonna respond to that the next time that it does? And you can use these as learning opportunities you otherwise wouldn't have had, mm -hmm. or you can get flustered by them and let them throw you off. The other question I wanna talk about is, man, you stop not stop smiling. <laughs> not many people have talked about uh, the time they've been shot several times and continue smiling, yeah. but surely there must have been setbacks when you were like, yeah. screw this noise, man. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and I think it's, I've had that smile since I was a kid, and it's gonna take mm. a lot more than three bullets to wipe that smile off my face. Amazing, um, yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, there, there was some dark times. I know we talked about the first couple of days in the hospital, but September was a really tough month for me in the sense that my anxiety was through the roof. Reintegrating to the world was really difficult for me because you have such, you're very hyper-anxious, right? I'd go to the gym for my recovery and I'm looking around at every person I can see thinking, is this guy like a threat to me? Like, is this gonna be the day where this guy comes to finish me off? Like all these crazy things, mm -hmm. right? And that's something that is really, really hard to understand, I think, unless you go through some sort of life-altering circumstance like that. Mm. Um, and as much as I read about the response I was going to have and wanted to learn about it and talk to people who, uh, you know, who have much greater knowledge in that field than I do, living it is totally different, right? Mm. The fear of driving down the highway and having to look at every single car around you at all moments because you think that someone might be coming to take your head off at that point is an unbelievably difficult thing to process. It just right? sounds exhausting. Um, it sounds exhausting, like you're you're stressed every single minute of the day, you're you're scared. Yeah, in September, about two weeks in, I noticed I was having this this uptick in, in massive anxiety, PTSD, yeah. all this stuff. So I started doing these crazy things. We started doing this thing called exposure therapy that I, I read about in one of my books. I got my roommates to start popping balloons around me when I wasn't looking. Um, in September, I started going for jogs through sketchy areas of the city, late hours of the night. Like I'm talking 11.30, yeah. 12, 12 a.m., going out in the dark because I started to notice how scared I was becoming of like regular things that shouldn't scare me, right? Mm. So what did I do? I went the exact opposite route. I put myself in situations that should have scared me or intimidated a normal person so that when I was reintegrating back into regular life situations, I was like, this is nothing. It, so it, it all became about perspective, right? So it, again, that could tie into business too, where you have this one bad experience, you have this one deal that goes mm -hmm. really south and you, you just look at it and it could, it, you could be nervous on the phone that next time you're t calling your client, you could be worried, you could be stressed about it, or you can take what you've been through, understand that it's an anomaly mm -hmm. and get back to the chalkboard and start learning about what you're doing and start mm -hmm. becoming comfortable again um, and growing from it, right? Did you ever get to a point where like you kind of accepted that setbacks will be a part? You know, we actually talked yeah. about your expectations for this yeah. nonprofit out of the gate. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, I, I did and I didn't. So I think it's, it's important to understand, like I knew there was gonna be some setbacks, but I knew that I could only do what was in my control mm. to, to overcome them, right? So for example, with, with starting running again or walking again, I knew that I wasn't gonna be able to run in the start of August, right? Mm -hmm. I knew that that wasn't an attainable goal, so to me, I saw that as a bit of a setback, because um, I would've loved to be running mid-July, right? right, right. Um, but understanding realistic timeframes and then doing everything in my power to, to shatter them, right? Mm -hmm. And that's like with the not-for-profit right now, obviously, I came out of the gate thinking like, we've got a ton of media attraction with this story, we've done really good, let's blow this thing up quick. And we were able to get a pretty good baseline uh, out of everything, but it's gonna take a lot of time to grow, right? I'm gonna need to make some connections in the community I, I didn't have beforehand. I'm gonna need to meet some new people. I'm gonna need to go out there and, and do a lot of work. And it's not something that just comes to fruition over a two or three month period, right? As you might've initially thought, no matter how much energy and ambition that you have, you have to set realistic expectations. And I think that's something that I was able to learn throughout my entire recovery process. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're able to shatter those expectations and that's great. And you need to do everything you can, I think, to shatter those expectations. But you also need to understand the realistic situations that you're being thrown at as well. I, uh, there's Annie there. Hello. We'll take, we'll take, a, we'll take a break. We'll take a little so, break. How are you doing? 
This is Annie. Come on over, Annie. This, this is, is actually the first time we've seen each other. How are oh, you doing? Really? Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm sweaty. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So nice to finally see you. Yeah, so you too. How are you doing, man? This is Annie, who is, uh, was a woman who was here the night that uh, helped put bandages and towels on Brandon. She was the woman that he helped usher. This is the first time they've seen each other. This is just happenstance. But, uh, I was uh, on the way to pick up the catering, and I'm like, yeah. he's there, around. <laughs> it's good. No, I'm happy you oh. came. Jeez, you guys look good, too. You're Thank making you. me look terrible now. No way. Well, <laughs> How's school for you? Good. Busy. Yeah? It's a heavy workload. That's awesome. Yeah, no, she actually is going into nursing school now after everything. So really? After saving me from bleeding out, she's now found her calling, which is awesome. Was that a decision out of this experience? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Well... Because he almost like died yes. in front of me, and yeah. I didn't know like what exactly to do to save him. It's good. My three guardian angels. <laughs> no, well, you uh, <laughs> saved my life. So you saved my life. It's a trade-off. This is your place. Yeah. 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 <laughs> cool. Good. Well, actually, we're all. I actually came for a haircut and just ran into him. <laughs> Not only kidding. I don't have. A, he's like looking at me. What hair? <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to be the one to say it. <laughs> I've seen much worse. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Well, listen. Awesome. I'll let you guys get back to it. Yeah, it was it good was to see you. Nice. All right. Thank you very much. No Bye. Bye. Awesome. Take care, guys. That was awesome. I'm happy yeah. to stop by. That was yeah. great. That's, I mean, this story keeps on getting... Yeah, that was probably, that was great. Well, yeah. it keeps on getting more, I mean, more interesting uh, <laughs> that she's now going into nursing. Yeah. You know, I want to bring our conversation to not a permanent close, but to finish off this episode. Yeah. And what would you have to say? Like, what do you think the big learning out of all this is for you and, and that somebody else could take and apply to themselves? Being, being open in your communications and just in every facet of your life, right? Like I think a lot of the time people often are closed off and it makes others not think that they're going through the same things that they are. Um, I had an unbelievable amount of people who've reached out to me who don't necessarily feel comfortable talking about their unique traumas with the world talk with me about them, right? And I think they were able to find some solace in understanding that someone else was going through what they were going through. And to me, there is no better feeling in the world that I could ever have than making a positive influence on those around me. And that's something I learned about myself throughout this, right? I, I think I've always been that way with my friends and my family where I, I want to see them succeed and I'll, you know, literally take a bullet for these people, right? Like, I, I would do anything I could to see them flourish. And if I can use my story to do that, everything will have been worth it for me. And, and I think that's the case right now. So, yeah. Something that I hear a lot as I've, you know, met some people that uh, work alongside you or that have been impacted of this, that you may not hear in the same way because it's you and I get to be an observer. Yeah. And it's that they've felt invited into the journey with you. When I tell this story, when I tell your story to people, that is the lesson I'm sharing with them is that the key to the success you've had in your recovery, the key to the success you've had in launching this nonprofit and becoming a charity, yeah. the key to the success in your first virtual run event uh, has been your invitation into others to, to co-create and co-own yeah. your story. Uh, you could very easily have taken it and held it tightly <laughs> to yourself, but it's really been an invitation for others to come along. 
And if people want to connect with you, how do they do it? What's the website? Yeah, uh, so our website for our not-for-profit, hopefully soon to be charity, is uh, www.htgrcanada.com. Our Instagram and TikTok tags are at htgrcanada. And then, yeah, my personal Instagram is at peacock underscore Brandon. You want to talk to me, you have any crazy stories, you just want a shoulder to kind of lean on. I'm, I'm always happy to speak to anybody. So seriously, reach out at any time and I appreciate you taking the time here, Matt. Brandon, thank you so much. Behind the camera is Adam. He's a partner of ours here in Ottawa. I'm gonna put a link to his company and his partner in the show notes. To his right is Austin Pomeroy, who you've been, if you've listened to our podcast before, you know I do not sound as good as I do in real life. It's thanks to him <laughs> doing the ed editing. Naomi Grossman helped prepare for this. With research, Cindy Craig helped uh, get the calendar and the booking ha to happen. You can imagine Brandon's schedule, my schedule to come to Ottawa was not easy. If you've seen this on social or the website or YouTube or somewhere else, Jamie Hunter, our content manager, is responsible for that. Carrie Cotton is taking care of clients while I'm out here in Ottawa having like an amazing chat and doing all this learning. My wife, Allison, uh, I'm away for the whole day today and she uh, had no problem saying, yes, go do share these stories. If you just jumped into this and you missed episode one, you can catch it wherever you get fine podcasts, uh, The Leading With Nice interview series. You can also find it on our website, leadingwithnice.com. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Thanks very much for listening today. Mm -hmm.